And once you get it, let's take it. Let's turn in it. Guys, we're going to kind of begin to peel into 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. We'll look about halfway through the chapter, the first 19 verses. By the way, uh, I, I, uh, I couldn't hear the announcements, but I don't know if Family Day was brought up or, or not, but it was wonderful. It was successful. Everybody that showed up and served, so proud of you, so grateful for you. It was wonderful. God was glorified. 140, 150 people served in, the, in that capacity, and so uh, we'll give God glory for that. The title of the message today is Communication and Edification in the Church. Let's pray. Uh, Father, that's our desire today is just to receive edification, God, through the means of communication. And so we just pray that you would minister and move and speak to our hearts, God. We open our hearts and our minds to you. And uh, God, it's our our desire to be uh, tuned in, focused on you. So uh, speak today, we pray, and we'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Edification. In any spirit-led gathering requires two things. Uh, Number one, understanding. Uh, Number two, order. Uh, Unfortunately, in many assemblies today, those are the two elements tragically lacking. Uh, There's no order, which leads to a lack of understanding. People walk away kind of scratching their heads, you know, wondering, you know, what just happened. It's that whole sense of what, what was I just a part of? Uh, And as a general rule, guys, if you enter a church service and you leave more confused than you came in, something's amiss. Now, uh, I'm not saying that uh, you'll never have a need for more information or uh, ever have any questions, but when I go to church, I should leave more effectively equipped, not effectively more confused. I mean, this is the reason, is it not, that uh, the Lord has provided pastors and, and teachers in the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And uh, we've been learning as of late that each of us has something to contribute, something to supply, causing the growth of the body for the, well, the word is edifying of itself in love. And edification, to circle back, requires understanding and order. And here in the uh, 14th chapter, and Jody, if you want to just peel me back, just, I mean, like not even a DB, but uh, the, the, of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends the first half of the chapter emphasizing the uh, importance of understanding. And the last half, when we'll get into next time, God willing, he will highlight the essential need for order. So understanding and order. The first half, understanding. The second half, order. Let's turn our attention to the very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul writing says, pursue love. Can you just go ahead and underline that right now? Just highlight that, memorize that, you know, make a note of that. Pursue love and and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So Paul, if you remember right, which I trust that you do if you were with us last time or you joined us online, Paul spent the last what's become 13 verses just uh, beautifully and brilliantly expounding upon the preeminence, the perfection, and the permanence of love. And he shared with us, he showed to us that the gifts of the Spirit are for a season. You know, that is, they, they won't go on forever. 
When we're with Jesus in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be any more need for a, a, a gift of wisdom or, or knowledge or healings. They won't be necessary. We'll have perfect understanding. We'll know the Lord even as we're known by the Lord. Now, in our present state, if you remember right, as our time came to a close, Paul was kind of pointing out that as it pertains to eternity, you and me presently, we're kind of like in the children's ministry. Uh, of it all. You know, I mean, we, we kind of have a grip on some things, but we don't have a complete grasp or a, a total understanding. And so we need the aid of the Holy Spirit in equipping us, strengthening us, enlightening us, and encouraging us. But when we're with the Lord, There'll be no more confusion, and we won't have any more questions. There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, right? The former things will have passed away. No more need for the temporary aid. Love, so the gifts of the Spirit are for a season. They, they just last temporarily, that is in our age presently. But love, on the other hand, will be with us, that is, it will abide in us and, and flow through us forever. You see, love is eternal. And of the three greatest characteristics of the Christian, you remember them, uh, faith, hope, and love, uh, on the basis of what we've come to understand, uh, the greatest of these three is love. And therefore, as we kind of cascade, as we kind of follow the flow out of chapter 13, you know, now abide faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is, is love, it stands to reason then that Paul would follow up that statement with this truth in the present imperative, meaning it's a continual command to pursue love, right? He says, desire spiritual gifts, that's fine, be zealous for the gifts of the Spirit. They're good. They're, they're needful. But pursue, that is, follow after, right? If you're pursuing something, you're following after. He says, follow after love. And family, this is that same mindset that I was seeking to encourage you with toward the end of our time together last week. Let love lead you. Okay, uh, don't feel compelled by guilt or constraint or by pressure to serve or to sacrifice or to give. Listen, let love lead you to serve. Allow love to lead you to sacrifice. Give out of the overflow of love, love for God, love for his kingdom, wanting to see his plans progress here upon the earth, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, because he has loved you, this is your, remember we talked about it's not just the what, it's the why behind the what. Not, I mean, what you're doing is cool, but the question is why are you doing it? And if it's because he's loved you, you love him and want to offer your life to him in any way, you know, regardless of how he may want to use you, be it in some major role and responsibility or, you know, something behind the scenes, never recognized by anyone other than him. That's okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with the gifts. We should desire them. We, we need both, right? But remember that the gifts find their value in love. So he says, 
pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. But then look at this. But especially, he's like on this topic, as we kind of segue back in from chapter 12, chapter 13 was kind of like an importance of the preeminence, the permanence, you know, and all of, of, of love and how the gifts find their value in love. It's like he's talking about all these gifts, and he goes, wait, let me qualify this, right? And now he's like, okay, so now let's turn back to the topic. Desire spiritual gifts, that's good. But he says, especially that you may prophesy. Back in chapter 12, Paul was mentioning these gifts of the Spirit. You, you remember there was, a, there was a number of them that he listed, among which were prophecy and tongues. And now what he's going to do is he's going to take those two specifically for you and me and show us their role and their level of priority as it pertains to the corporate church body. And one thing we've already noted is that the Corinthian church, there seemed to be within that particular body an overemphasis on tongues and an underemphasis, almost a, um, a belittling or a diminishing of prophecy. You know, they were really enamored with this ability to kind of supernaturally speak a language unknown to them previously, but to communicate plainly just kind of seemed rather unimpressive. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really given much priority. But guys, let's follow the flow of the totality of this letter. Paul has rebuked, we need to remember that Paul has rebuked the Corinthian Christians on more than one occasion throughout this writing for their self-serving kind of tendencies. Uh, and, and this particular passage kind of leans the same way. You know, well, how so? Well, what we're going to see is that tongues are primarily a personal gift. Prophecy, on the other hand, is a public gift. Therefore, if I'm walking in love, what does love cause me to do? Love causes me to consider others before myself. And so here's the point. Love leads me to understand that edifying the whole body, the collective uh, gathering of everyone in the assembly, that uh, the, the edifying of the body is more important than just making sure that I'm edified personally, okay? If I want everyone to be edified, it's more important then that we give way to prophecy so that everyone can be encouraged in a language that we understand plainly. Does that make sense? Well, what is prophecy? You know, exactly. Well, here in a couple of verses, Paul's going to tell us kind of the net effect of prophecy. Uh, but as for what it is specifically, it's simply is to speak forth a, a word from God, okay? Now, it may or may not have uh, predictive elements to it, but it's a word from the Lord for the people. Uh, now, it, what it is not, it is not a pre-studied, premeditated, thought-through, prepared message such as, you know, I'm delivering now. Uh, prophecy now may weave its way through uh, a prepared message as the Lord would lead or inspire a thought that goes beyond or outside the boundaries of what's previously been prepared and all of that. But essentially it's sharing, you know, the heart of God, a, a word from God with and for the congregation. And that's why Paul says that the desire for spiritual gifts is great 
But when you gather together publicly, prophecy is the gift you should want the most. Why? Because God's word is what we need. Yeah, and, and at this time when Paul was writing this, the, the, even in that day, the canon of Scripture was not complete. So to get a word from God, you see, a, to hear the heart of God, this is, this is paramount. This is critical, right? Now look at verse 2. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Family, listen, I cannot emphasize or highlight or, uh, you know, share this strongly enough. Again, I know I encourage you quite regularly. I'm going to do it now. If you will underline or memorize or plant firmly in your heart just 14 words found in verse 2, it will save you immeasurable amounts of frustration, aggravation, uncertainty, and confusion. Let's look at it together. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Can I read that again? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Listen to me. Disregard of this incredibly plain, simple, and straightforward principle has led to some of the most significant misunderstandings with regard to the gift of tongues. It is not uncommon for people to believe that tongues is a supernatural tool that communicates kind of man to man rather than man to God. However, the plain reading and teaching of the Bible is that the content of tongues is addressed to God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I read it one more time? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And guys, this is why we refer to the uh, gift of tongues as a prayer language, right? Because when you are or someone is uh, praying, they're addressing God, right? Now, the words aren't addressed to human ears. They're addressed to the Lord. Therefore, it's really not necessary that uh, you would understand because, uh, you know, there I am uh, speaking and done. Like, I don't understand you. Well, it's okay. I'm not talking to you. You know, I am talking to God, right? But let me ask you, what would be the reason for God to speak to you in a language you can't understand? Um, that I can think of? There's not one. And so when God wants to address the church through the supernatural gift of the Spirit, you know, he's not going to use tongues. He'll inspire prophecy, something you can understand plainly. Listen, and we'll see this in our next gathering. God is not the author of confusion, um, but of peace. And what we discover when we study Scripture is that a true interpretation of tongues won't address the congregation. You know, this whole, my little children. I, I don't know, it's weird how everything starts out with my little children in these circles. I, 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 maybe, I guess, but, but be that as it may. Yeah, you're the children of God. I get that, and, you know, so that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, draw near to me, or, you know, or however the, the wording may, may be phrased or whatever. But 
that, that won't be a true interpretation of a, of a tongue because an interpretation of a tongue, you know, will, will give praise and adoration to God, you see. There will be a declaration of the wonderful works of God. There will be blessing and thanksgiving ascribed to God. Family, think with me back to Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, there they were, the disciples, the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls, inspires them, not necessarily collectively. It says, as the Spirit gave utterance, they began to speak with tongues. But there was a multinational crowd present that day. You remember that? People from all over the known world. Now, the disciples weren't preaching to them in, in languages that were indigenous to them. They were praising God. And the people began to talk amongst themselves. And they said, man, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, right? Or our own native-born languages, the wonderful works of God. Now, when you get to Acts chapter 10... And the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and the Gentiles there. You remember Peter and those with him? It says, they heard them speak with tongues. And what did they do? Did they preach a message? No, they magnified God. You know, God, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. The whole earth is filled with your glory. You know, something along these lines would be an interpretation to a, to a tongue. Guys, think of the Psalms. You know how David extolled and magnified and glorified and gave thanks to God. An interpretation of tongues would, would be along those lines. Now, of course, I've jumped ahead a little bit. We're leaning now into verse 5. We'll catch up to that in just a minute. But generally speaking, if one speaks in a tongue, Paul just states it very clearly, very plainly. Now, you know, no one understands them. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if we misunderstand this point, the gift of tongues can be necessarily misused because it'll be used in a way that draws unnecessary attention to oneself because here I am and I'm thinking, man, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling this unction, like I, I, I have a, a kind of this inspiration and, and, and now I think that maybe God has a message for the people. No, um, um, he doesn't, not, not in that capacity. God doesn't give the gift of tongues directly for the sake of others. Can I read it one more time? Um, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, so though the gift isn't given primarily, you know, for the sake of others, they can be edified through an interpreter, but the gift of tongues is given primarily for the edification of one's spirit personally, not publicly. The gift primarily, I'm not going to say exclusively, okay, but primarily is between the individual and God. Does that make sense? Okay, now look at verse 3. He says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Family, do you see this? Do you see how Paul is presenting a contrast uh, between the two gifts that are kind of exercised in an audible fashion? Uh, one, he says, is likely to sow, and we'll see it more next time, but one is likely to sow confusion, you know, and he says he speaks mysteries. I don't understand what he's saying, you see. 
Um, the, the other, however, will bring clarity. One is for the individual. One is for the whole body. Tongues is directed to God. Prophecy is a word from God. So no one understands the man who's speaking in tongues, but he who prophesies, notice, again, guys, I'm a big fan of underlining. I'm a big fan of highlighting. Draw attention to it. He speaks, number one, uh, edification. Uh, Number two, exhortation. And number three, comfort to men, that is, to mankind, to the collective gathering, you see. I want you to notice that the nature of prophecy is largely positive. Did you see that? Now, again, we're not looking at the office of a prophet, you know, in Old Testament terms uh, or the foundational stages of the church. The gift of prophecy, one who, who moves in the gift of prophecy or who's prophesying will speak. Well, the word is edification. What is this word? This, this word is a construction term. Um, it means to build up, okay? In, in other words, a word of prophecy won't tear you down. Um, it will add strength to you. It will challenge you. Uh, it, it will challenge growth in you, you see. And then not only edification, he says, but exhortation. Well, now what is this? Exhortation means to admonish or to um, encourage. Uh, think of the coach in the locker room, right? I mean, you're, you're familiar with these, you know, right? Yeah, there he is in the locker room before the big game, right? And he's there with his team, and he's rallying the team, and he's focusing the team. He's encouraging the team to leave it all on the field. You've come this far. You can't quit now. Do the work to the best of your ability. Guys, that's, that's exhortation. It, it won't discourage you. It will encourage you. It will motivate you to get the work done to the best of your ability for the glory of God, you see. Don't fall short. Don't go point five. Don't just say, well, we have a phrase that I, I, we like to use around here, and that is, good enough is never good enough. We put our best foot forward for the glory of God, and if we're not willing to do our very best, we're not willing to do it at all. Does that make sense? An exhortation will give you that sense of I need to be putting my best foot forward for the glory of God. And then finally, he says comfort. This is consolation, right? This is a calming word. Uh, Again, a word that will strengthen you to carry on, to not give up. Times are tough. You've got to, you know, hang in there. You've got to bear up under God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you kind of a thing. You see, don't give in. And these are the qualities largely that characterize prophecy. And so if you're ever in a place where the word coming forth from someone is kind of uh, shrouded in negativity, more than likely it wasn't a word from the Lord or, or maybe it was a word from the Lord, but it wasn't necessarily directed to the body, but that individual personally who shared it. You know, and I mean, this happens sometimes. It's like there you are, and you're kind of, you know, someone is, is and I won't, I, I don't know who it would be, so we're not going to point out anyone personally, because I'm going to say God's rebuking you, you know, Jenny, or something like that. Um, but, um, 
But it's just one of those things where, you know, you're sitting there and, and, and it's an appropriate time of prayer and meditation. We're kind of open. We're seeking the Lord. And God begins to impress upon someone's heart, hey, man, it's time to repent. It's time to turn from that sin. It's time to, you know, uh, uh, come back to me kind of a thing. And the person's like, oh, okay, Lord. I'll say, and they stand up and they say, you know, the Lord is, is putting on my heart. It's time to repent. It's time for you to turn from your sin. And it's like the Lord's going, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. That wasn't for them. That was for you. That's for you. You know? And then conversely, what happens is, you know, the Lord begins to put on someone's heart that sense of, you know, uh, of love, I love you, and, you know, I, I just want to refresh you, and I just want to pour my spirit out upon you, and, and that's what you're supposed to stand and share with the body, but instead you sit there just silently, oh, thank you, Lord, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> this happens, this kind of thing, this kind of thing happens, you know. Um, but now, I, wouldn't, I would never say... Uh, that the Lord wouldn't encourage corporate repentance. All you got to do is read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you'll see that there are times definitely that he will. But the fingerprints of prophecy primarily, are you with me, are positive, not negative, okay? Now, look at verse 4. He says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. We already know not all do. This was the rhetorical question he already addressed in a previous chapter there in 12. But he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. Well, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if tongues and prophecy contrast in whom they address, then they contrast in whom they're going to edify. Uh, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, family, I should say, let me, let me speak clearly here on this matter, that personal edification is not a negative thing. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Personal edification will lead to greater growth in one's own life, and that will spill over into greater things for the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, and you know every, everyone around. And so uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with personal edification, exercising the gift, edifying your, your spirit, you see. But the context here is conduct in the corporate gathering. Do you understand that? And so as to where... Tongues may edify the individual prophecy because it's understood by everybody will build up the whole body. And that's why he says that as much as he wished that everyone spoke with tongues. In other words, he's not down on tongues. You read it, you might think, man, Paul has a real problem with tongues. No, he really doesn't. But he's up on appropriate application and administration of the gifts. Okay? But he wishes even more so that everyone prophesied. Why? Because that would be great for everybody in the assembly. Okay? Guys, I don't know how else to say it. The goal when we come together publicly is to build up and to edify the body. And that cannot happen apart from understanding. And that's why, as it pertains to the collective assembly, Paul...
places a premium on prophecy. You understand this, right? The one exception, he says, is that if there is an interpreter, then a tongue or a language that we don't know can edify the body because it can be interpreted so that we can understand it plainly. Again, let's keep the context. We're speaking of the public gathering of the assembly, the the church body. If the shoe were on the other foot, ladies and gentlemen, I have no doubt. Now, uh, just knowing you know the heart of Paul as we read his writings, I have no doubt that if he was writing a little section of scripture that had to do with personal devotional life in the in the believer or with you know personal devotion in the believer's life, he would no doubt say that tongues would be a greater gift than prophecy. You know why? Well, because prophecy is directed toward the public assembly, and if there's no assembly, who are you prophesying to? And so. The, the, the greater gift may depend or will vary depending on the situation. Does that make sense? But pertaining to the corporate gathering, prophecy is of much greater value. It's a word we can all hear. We can understand it. We can be blessed and built up, encouraged, exhorted by it. Okay? Now, look at verse 6. He says, But now, brethren... If I come to you speaking with tongues or with other languages, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. What's he saying? The idea here, guys, is that if you can't understand me, then from a learning perspective, I'm of no value to you, okay? The value is found in what you can understand and grow thereby. There is no profit in what I cannot understand. I can't profit by something if I can't understand it. There is profit, however, in revelation. Now, these are uh, different ways, Paul's saying, that I might um, uh, offer valuable communication. Okay? And notice tongues isn't in the list here. Okay? He says, if God gives me direct revelation, that is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit in his apostolic office, he says, man, that that would profit you. That would be a blessing. That would benefit you. If I speak by knowledge, you know, it could be by academic knowledge. It could be by that supernatural word of knowledge. Regardless, you know, he's like, that would profit you. That would be of great benefit to you. If I come to you prophesying, speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort to you, that would profit you. Or if I just simply expound upon, explain, and apply the scripture for you, that is teaching. He says, man, that, that would be a, a huge blessing for you. But if you cannot understand me, Right? Like I'm speaking a foreign language. That's of no value to you. You're not going to be built up that way. Crazy how like commonsensical all this stuff is, isn't it? Look at verse 7. He says, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds... How will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? 
And so likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Guys, he's saying it's a pattern or a principle that falls true in every context, be it the musical world, be it the military world. Guys, in music, I mean, let's just state the obvious. There needs to be a certain meter. There needs to be notes in order, whether you're building a chord structure or a melody line. You know, things have to be in a certain order in order that you might understand or that you might receive, listen, and receive any benefit, any blessing from it. If the song is to communicate something enjoyable... You know, if not, it's just random, nonsensical, undiscernible noise. It kind of gets on your nerves. And the same is true of the trumpet blast. It needs to be understood. For instance, if you were to hear, like, say this, right? Let's hear it. Well, hey, look, you would know. Time to rise and shine, soldier. Right? Like, if you were to hear this... You can discern it. It's time to charge into battle. But if you heard this, man, you don't know what to do, right? I mean, what's going on? You know, you're left like confused, maybe a little frustrated. Zero profit in that blast, right? It's like, it's like a child banging on a piano. I mean, they're having a great time. Everyone else is silently having a nervous breakdown, you know? And that's kind of like, that's kind of like tongues. It's like, there you are. You're having a wonderful time. You're being edified. Everyone else is like, what's going on? I don't understand, you know, what's happening. And, and so, look, I mean, look at verse 9 again. He says, so likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what's spoken? Listen, if you feel so inclined to speak in an uncertain sound, speaking to God in tongues, he says, look, just do so silently between you and God. There's no profit in, and I don't mean to insult anyone, but by black the rest of the body. I'm not sure. There you go. Okay, okay. There's, hey. Well, we... Uh, okay. See, confusing. You're just speaking sounds into the air. Are we... Uh, thank you. Earlier this week, I asked my friend uh, Will to, to prepare an edifying word for us. Are you prepared to share it with us, Will? Yeah, just, just go ahead and stand up if you would and just, and just share that edifying word. Now, what, what kind of... Uh, did that place like a, do you know, does anyone know what he just said? 
I mean, you know, so did, did it place any thoughts or principles or precepts into the, and by the way, that was not a, a tongue. He, he's bilingual, okay? I want to just share that with you. He's, he's, he's another language. Did he even recognize the language? Some of you maybe did. Now, if you don't know, if you know Will, you know what he said. I don't want you guys to already know, right? But, you know, it didn't put like some sort of like edifying principle or precept or thought in your head of like, oh, I mean, yes, Lord, you know. Now, again, guys, and, and, and you're wondering, well, what did he say? I'll share that with you in a little bit. But this is just to kind of, again, not to downplay like a, a, a gift, okay? But if there's no one who can interpret it, it's, it's like being in a foreign country, incredibly frustrating. You know, if you ever, I don't know if you've ever gone on a mission trip or on vacation or somewhere you've been where English is not the primary language, but you don't speak their language. You're trying to understand what's being said or what's going on, and it can be incredibly frustrating and confusing. And Paul says that's, that's what it's like when you exercise the gift of tongues in the assembly and there's no interpreter present. You see, it's just people are like, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Now look at verse 10. He says, For there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Um, Okay, so again, Paul's not downplaying uh, the language. Language is a gift from God. And each language has significance in its proper context. But if I can't understand you, it's, it's just not going to bless me. It's not going to benefit me, okay? L- look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Okay, so uh, here he goes. So even if, pardon me, let's go back to verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be, notice, underline it, for the edification of the church uh, that you seek to excel. See, there it is. That's what love leads you to do, to to be for the edification of the church that you may. So he says, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding uh, is unfruitful. So the goal of the gifts being exercised in a public forum is mutual edification, benefit, and blessing. Now, one might wonder, if tongues are directed to God, how can it be edifying to others? Well, I kind of touched on this earlier in, in, in much the same way that a psalm can edify. I mean, how powerfully would it resonate in your heart if in a designated time of prayer and waiting on God and meditation before God, someone spoke forth in this language unknown to you and to me, given by God supernaturally, and the interpretation came forth, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glory splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works something to that capacity 
Or perhaps, for you are my hope, O Lord. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. You know, our hearts would identify with that. You know, would agree with that. Would be blessed by that. But without interpretation, there's no, no meaningful communication. Your spirit prays. Now, what is tongues? It's communication with God. It's prayer. It's praise. It's blessing. It's thanksgiving. But your understanding is unfruitful. You, you know, you, you, can't, you can't comprehend it. Now, we would, we would never seek to elevate a lack of understanding as something spiritual. You know, Jesus was clear about the greatest commandment in the law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and what? With all your mind. You know, our mind is to be engaged in our worship of God. What we do in worshiping, we do intentionally, we do purposefully. But on the other side of that same coin, we also appreciate the limitations of our understanding, and we thank God for a way to express ourselves or to relate to Him in a way that transcends or goes beyond our intellect. It demands a stepping forward in faith, right? Because with, apart from faith, it's impossible to please Him, for the one who would come to Him must believe who He is and want a rewarder of those who would diligently seek Him, okay? And in verse 15, we read, uh, he says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless, so he's telling you guys, he's telling you guys what tongues are. If you just read, you kind of, it's like, he doesn't say directly, but indirectly. He talks about thanksgiving, talks about prayer, he talks about blessing. Are you seeing that? If you bless with the Spirit, how can he who occupies, you know, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, right? If you, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your, what is this one? Giving of thanks. There it is. He's telling you what it is. Since he does not understand what you say, for you indeed give thanks well but the other is not edified. In other words, I'm not downplaying the gift. It's just not benefiting anyone but yourself. Now he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? In his devotional life, he would bless the Lord in tongues. However, in the church, he insisted upon communicating in a way that appealed to the understanding that there might be growth, that there might be edification, there might be instruction that, instruction that leads to sanctification or that uh, growing in holiness. And look at this. Guys, I, I, I would even say 
Listen, now, now, now this may be, uh, this may be uh, selfish of me, but I would even say, look, you could underline that section there in verse 16 because a meaningful amen, right, to a word that resonates with you is completely compliant with Scripture. Oh, by the way, before I get away from it, you're wondering, what was it that he said? Well, I just asked him to prepare Psalm chapter 3 and verse 3. It says this, You, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Could you say amen to that? But our concern, by the way, we're closing. I don't know if it's Karen or if it's... yeah. Yes, ma'am, thank you. But our, our concern, guys, gathering as a body ultimately should not be for ourselves personally. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't want to see you edified individually because, look, if I'm not concerned for me, but I want to bless you, and you're not concerned for you, but you want to bless me, and, and so on and so forth, then we're all going to be blessed, right? We're all going to be built up. We're all going to be... That's the way love, let love lead you, and, and you will edify others, and they will edify, they will encourage you. But my primarily, my primary, pardon me, concern when I come together should not be for myself personally. You know, oh, I was blessed, too bad for you, you know, kind of a thing. But my, my heart should be for the entire assembly. So let's not concern ourselves with receiving a blessing, but with being a blessing. And the body will be edified, and God will be glorified in our midst. Amen. All right, let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word and the resounding clarity with which you have spoken to us. And I pray, Lord, that it would be our heart to edify one another and to glorify you. So teach us, God, to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to love our neighbor, one another, as ourselves. So renew our love for you and for one another. God, I pray that you bless each heart with us today. 